the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. And now, here's your host, Nick Phillips. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another edition of The Advocate. Thank you so much for spending your Sunday evening with us. Uh, We're going to talk tonight about something very important as we're ending this summer, but summer's not over yet. A lot of people are out and about doing uh, exciting, adventurous things, but those exciting, adventurous things can be very dangerous, not just adventurous. And uh, people can hurt and even die in those situations. And we're going to talk about that with uh, Chris Phillips, who's our returning guest and family member. Chris, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Uh, before we get into talking about uh, safety out uh, on the trails and out in the mountains and out in remote areas, uh, let's talk about what we always talk about for the last two years, and that's COVID. What's happening with COVID now? Is that still out there? Is it something we still need to worry about? And if so, how much? Right. So just to introduce myself again, I'm national director of a very large physician group. What I mean large, um, we oversee 4 million patients Mm -hmm. nationwide. Um, I run a high-risk nurse call line that does about 3,000 calls a month. Uh, They're doing them right now, 24-7 of all ages. So I guess my... My viewpoint from the very beginning of this, I mean, I've been doing this for about 10 years, has been a front row seat to what's really going on out there right now. Uh, so I know you guys are constantly being bombarded by news flashes and updates and this and that. But, you know, even as today when I was working, I was taking, um, you know, active COVID calls. So it is still out there. Um, we seem to be still in the VA. Um, Let's see, which version are we in right now? We still seem to be in... BA2 was the last I heard. uh, This one is the BA.5. Oh, my. And it's kind of been stuck there for a little bit. Um, It's just like a bad cold. We have not sent anyone to the hospital for a while, thank goodness. Of all ages, as they get it, uh, people do tend to have pretty obvious significant symptoms fairly quickly, sore throat body aches, cough, headache, um, maybe a fever, fever in kids. Uh, But they just have to ride it out for the five to 10 days. It's uh, highly contagious. That's a problem there, too. It just kind of can shut down your world, your school, your daycare, your work. Um, It's been amazing to see the footprint of these versions, as these variants as they move forward, that they're very, very predictable in what we see. So... Uh, coming into fall in the school year, it, it still seems to be active, not as severe, but very contagious. You still need to keep your eyes open for it. And, uh, you know, just be aware how to quickly, you know, test, understand if you have it, what your risks are, to kind of keep others from having it. Well, this this raises the issue where we still have these different categories of people. For example, mm-hmm. uh, just take the, the bulk of the population and we have the people who are still non-vaccinated. We have the people who are vaccinated mm-hmm. once or twice. And then we have the people who are vaccinated twice and boosted once or twice. 
Uh, then we have seniors and people with comorbidities. Uh, are there different rules for all of those? Are, are, are we all playing with the same issues here or should we be more vigilant if we're older or are, can we really relax without a mask if we have two shots and double boosted? Where are we in those different categories? I always look for a table. Yeah, exactly. That is a great question. And that, boy, that has been my biggest message to all population groups is the answer is no, there's no one size fits all. Uh, People, boy, just, I've never seen, I mean, I've been a nurse, a nurse executive for about 30 years. And um, I've never seen how much we have to really understand each age group and exactly where they're at. And not only the COVID story, but kind of all virus and contagious disease stories. I mean, we're starting to handle some monkeypox cases out on the coast. So we have uh, different groups that are very concerned about it. We are definitely doing our homework about monkeypox. You may have read in the news that polio variants have been found in in some of the the testing in some of the big cities. I was listening to a, a virology update on that, and they suspect most major cities have some sort of polio um, virus shed going on. So not just for COVID, but we all have to really become epidemiologists for ourselves and our loved ones, whether we're caring for older relatives or children or just for ourselves. Um, And I think that's one of the bright sides of COVID over the last two and a half years is I think it has raised the the general population's uh, understanding about themselves and about basic epidemiology, virology, infection control. And uh, so, yeah, the, the answer is it affects everyone slightly different. You know, um, you're going to really be pondering this with a healthy newborn all the way up through a toddler or if a toddler has asthma or allergies, it's different than if you're a healthy um middle-aged person versus an older person with one or two comorbidities, my best advice, and I will just keep saying this over and over again, now is the time for sure to pick and vet a really good pediatrician and primary care doctor or internist. You know, if, you, if you're older and you have some comorbidities, get an internal medicine primary care doctor Really understand that doctor that you're on the same page with them scientifically, ethically, treatment-wise. They come in different, you know, versions now to doctors. And just really walk through your annual wellness visit, your checkups, get your labs. Um, because unfortunately, we, we've learned infection, infectious diseases are not going away. And they all affect us in very different ways. It's a very complex story. So we really want to be, we deserve to be individually guided by really good healthcare professionals that we're on the same page with, whether it's, you know, through vaccines, treatments, um, risk factors, all of that. So it's, it's vastly different for every age group and um, scenario. Well, what this brings to mind is the fact that modern medicine today is being practiced in a way that everyone is a specialist and everyone has a different level of authority, it seems. Uh, so for example, you're, you're dealing with your doctor who may be a specialist or a general practitioner and you're dealing with nurses, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, and all of these people 
need to know what's going on with you. So one of the things I found to do is to keep a, a small, like a medical journal. Just uh, when I when I see somebody, I'll take their business card and staple it to the journal page. But remember what I'm telling these individuals and, and being aware of the fact that just because I mentioned something to the last one, the, the next one may not know what I talked about before. So um, yet uh, you can't get medical advice if they don't have the whole picture. So how do you, how do you deal with that when people aren't going to? Uh, I, you know, yeah, I think that's so well what you said. And I know for a majority of your listeners who don't have either a single existing condition, which I doubt, just about everybody has at least one medical condition, um, even in younger people, unfortunately, we've seen more anxiety, depression, attention deficit. So, you know, what what you just said is not just for older people with with multiple conditions. Um, kind of journaling and understanding, you know, your own medical history, condition, and even even genetically. You know, I know you're you know you're frequently asked during these um, annual wellness visits. You know, do you have a what, what relatives had heart disease or diabetes are very, very relevant. So even if you're very healthy and you're new in your journey or caring for a child, that's definitely very valuable. In fact, that's going to come around. I'll, I'll mention that again in the travel safety. Very dramatic personal story about saving my son's life. He's very healthy, but I had a really, obviously, I had a really good understanding of his health condition, his health status, his training. So, yeah, it's time. I think it's really time to chronicalize in, in like a journey, your, your health condition. Not only that, but where, where you want to go, where your convictions lie. You know, do you, do you believe in, you know, the new vaccines and, and the new boosters and all that? Or, or, or are you conservative, you know, on, on that approach so that you can, you know, really get the best care at the best time? Well, it's a good time to remind everyone, uh, at least coming from a legal standpoint as a lawyer, uh, that uh, your communications with your medical people and your medical records are confidential, protected by HIPAA and, mm-hmm. and other uh, other laws that will protect you. But um, we're, we're going to take a short break, but we're going to be back. We're talking to Chris Phillips about COVID, the, the fact that it's still out there and it's still something we have to be aware of. And uh, we're going to uh, answer some questions about HIPAA. I I think that's an interesting thing as to why we should keep good notes. We're going to take a short break. I'll be back after these words along with Chris Phillips. And we'll be talking about COVID and other health things tonight on The Advocate. Don't go away. We'll be right back. And now back to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. Welcome back to The Advocate. I'm your host, Nick Phillips, and I just love that old WHK promo. That just takes me back, not quite a hundred years, but way back into time. We're talking to Chris Phillips, and we're still talking about COVID because it's still out there, and talking about generally how do we handle our health. And before the break, we were talking about HIPAA and the fact that your medical records are confidential. And uh, Chris, I just want to point, point out and to get your comments. When someone is talking to their medical professional, their, their doctor or their nurse practitioner, whoever it is, it's not the time to fudge the truth. Uh, you have to be completely honest uh, if you expect to get a decent uh, recommendation for medical treatment. Uh, do people try to hedge the truth or 
trying to not say things are as bad as they are or overstate making things sound worse than they are or being truthful is oh, not much yeah. of a part of dealing with a patient. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a great, that's a great pivot. Um, you know, HIPAA is an extremely serious law to providers, all providers, nurses, um, nursing aides, doctors, it's just like you said. And um, we definitely have the fear of God put in us every year, the mandatory compliance training. Um, we have seen, you know, people instantly fired. Uh, institutions find millions and millions of dollars for breaking HIPAA. So HIPAA is very, very serious, like you said. We are very blessed to live in a country that has such strong uh, privacy rules. So that's number one. Number two, exactly. You you absolutely need to be uh, honest, forthright. Just think of any possible problem, concerns, questions you have when you're with your provider. I think that's really, once again, best with a trusted primary care provider, pediatrician, internal medicine provider that you really trust. Um, like anything else, you know, actually one of my professional roles is I am a catastrophic case manager. So that's when things go really, really bad. And it's like anything else, you know, people... You know, people don't find themselves, you know, at the age of 60 or 70 with alcoholism, congestive heart failure, liver failure, and kidney failure all at once. They don't just wake up with that problem. There were tiny, tiny steps, if you can go back through their lives, you know, as a complex or catastrophic case manager, where in their youth, they maybe they drank too much or they have depression in their in their family history or, or in their, their family dynamics. And all these things just started slowly snowballing. And it's kind of like that car, you know, it has a little creak and you never work on it. You try to ignore it and it gets bigger and bigger. And before you know it, you know, the transmission phone or something. So once again, I, I think being honest and transparent and really going on a journey is very difficult. If you're only doing urgent cares or you're only bebopping to your doctor every two years when you, when you get sick um, or doing a teledoc, those, you know, the teledoc urgent cares are okay in, in a hurry. But that's once again why people of all ages, even my young, healthy children, I say, man, you've got to do your annual wellness visit, do a deep dive, get all your labs, be honest, bring everything up. Well, again, you know, Nick, an, an, like another, go neat, ahead. Another, another neat thing HIPAA did is it forced all of us providers to play well together in transferring that data back and forth. So, um, you know, so whether you're moving or changing doctors, um, you know, with electronic medical records now, you know, there's like three or four major electronic medical records out there right now that share really good information. Um, you can be confident that um, your story, your journey um, is being well preserved and propagated, you know, from one provider to the next, one stage to the next, and that a provider can really have a very, you know, good understanding where you at, where you're at and where you need to go. When uh, we have so much medical record nowadays, medical records are being produced and expanded with every contact that somebody has with a medical provider or a medical person, uh, how, how detailed uh, are the next level providers reading all of this stuff? I mean, you, may, you can generate 5, 10, 20, 100 pages of records quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how do you go through all these records when you're talking to a patient? to find out whether there's something in there you really need to know about that may have an impact on what you're going to say next? Uh, well, you know, um, 
I'll tell you what, I, I got a good answer for that. Um, there's also been a lot of really good standardization. And in fact, your son, John, <laughs> I know your son, John, um, was real cutting edge working for Microsoft and uh, SNOMED, um, kind of an international effort years ago to standardize medical terminology so that it could flow from record to record uh, fairly seamlessly. So that's a very powerful tool. Um, so, that term was, you know, was the, that term bioinformatics? Is that where that came from? Yes. Yeah, yeah, days. that same area. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's, it's, it's just done very well, to be honest. Um, uh, you know, you're right. We cannot get into the deep, the, the deep crevices of everything, but, but the, there's been so much effort over the last decade or so of, of uh, standardizing, normalizing um, medical terminology complaints and, and uh, diagnosis so they do travel well in from provider to provider. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, that's, that's been really good. Okay. Well, with your 4 million uh, patients that your, your group handles and people are calling in, do most of them have a good understanding of what their medical condition, what their medical history is, and they're able to really speak intelligently to their provider about the nuances that they're concerned with in order to get the best medical device? Was well, that, and that, was that lost on yes and no, yeah, n not really, and that's where we're so valuable. Um, I, you know, I'm a big advocate too, uh, no pun intended. Of no. <laughs> wherever, whatever your listeners are at, find the free nurse line that is being offered to them. Okay, most of their health insurers provide a free nurse line 24/7. Most of your large provider groups and hospital systems that, you know, if you're a Cleveland Clinic patient, um, you look around, you'll see a free nurse line somewhere, grab that number and call it because, um, you know, these questions don't become most relevant to you till you're in need, you know? And one, I've been so fortunate to be able to build 24 seven nurse lines because someone will really maybe forget about a condition or potential condition they have till it's Saturday at midnight and that condition is really bothering them there's an acute change and they don't know what to do and going to google has often not been the best thing if you don't know what you're looking for our doctors kind of joke everyone comes in to the office after looking at google with stage four cancer you know they they really don't know what they're looking for in google google can help you a little bit but um you know people's understandings really uh mature as their condition either gets better or worse. And you just need to have the very right advice at the right time. And, you know, that's why our, I'll tell you, our nurse line is very expensive to run, but it saves millions of dollars for our health system because we're able to capture that patient at that very moment where they're most concerned or confused about their condition. We're able to help them make the very right decision and give them the information they need at that moment. And, you know, AI is making some tremendous advances in healthcare, but one thing I don't see it doing is really being able to compassionately, um, um, compassionately empathize and cognitively bring a person from point A to point B in a disease state so that well, they start sure. making the right decisions. Well, and then bring, bring them off the ledge if they're all anxious and everything. Right. And artificial intelligence mm -hmm. isn't going to tell you how to, how to handle that. But uh, I have a question that came in. And by the way, if uh, you're listening and you have a computer handy, want to email us a question, you can email it to theadvocateradio at gmail.com, theadvocateradio at gmail.com, and we'll take your question. 
We have a question now about the uh, upcoming flu season coming up here and uh, with regard to flu vaccines and to take it or not to take it. But also, if there's going to be another COVID booster, there'll be a third booster coming out to uh, address you know, what we know is going on with BA5. Uh, and should right, right. Wait, wait to have these all combined into one or get multiple shots? or What, what does it seem to be like at this point? Right. Well, I've not seen, man, I've not seen personally influenza hardly at all. Okay. For about a year. Uh, it's, it's been out there, but COVID has definitely trumped everything. And um, everybody's safer so, now, I think. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. People are, are much more cautious about what, you know, washing hands is still one of the best things you can do, of course, using common sense with masks and all that. Um, you know, you would definitely want to make this decision with your primary care provider about um, which vaccine to take next. You know, for me, it was for shingles and, and the Shindrex. You know, at my age, my risk factor, that's the one biggest on my radar right now. So I'm not sure about the flu vaccine. We're not hearing anything about that right now. All eyes are still on COVID. Um, we're waiting very patiently for a new COVID vaccine that's bivariant. Um, that's, you know, really handling the new ones. As we know, you, you probably know people who've been um, vaccine and boosted and still just got COVID. They got the BA.5. Oh, yes. Heard a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So the I, I just talked to one of the pharmacy leaders here recently, and they said that they're still trying to refine um, the latest uh, version. And it's not out yet, but be checking with your pharmacist and your primary care provider and lining up for that this fall. Well, excellent. We'll be watching for that and paying attention to it because our, our lives depend on it. I think we're a little safer now, a lot safer than we were back in the year 2020. That's two years ago that we've Absolutely. given up that year. But uh, right now we're talking to Chris Phillips about COVID and about the vaccines and the future here. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be back after these words, so don't go away. And now, back to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. We're talking to Chris Phillips about uh, COVID and uh, infections and how to protect ourselves. We, I think, in a way, we've all become experts in uh, listening about vaccines and viruses and transmission, treatment and all of that. And, uh, of course, COVID has been the star of the show. Uh, we've been hearing about monkeypox though for the last several months. And uh, Chris, um, tell us about that. What, you know, how dangerous is that to the general public? Uh, I understand the means of transmission are very focused. Uh, how how dangerous is this to people who are just leading a normal life? Right. So it does not seem very dangerous right now. However, it is looming around the corner. Um, I was just listening to um, a virology update with the, the top virologist in the country talking about monkeypox. I mean, basically, we said, oh, crap, we were all like, we, were, we, we weren't going to think this was going to be a big deal. Like, we thought this would totally come on and off the radar, sit around for a while. Um, and then they were really shocked. 
that it, it actually rose to the place of being, you know, kind of a global uh, emergent pandemic right now. I mean, on the CDC website, now we have 12, about 12,000 cases. Um, 90, about, oh, about 95, 97% of them are males who have sex with males. Uh, so there is some, um, there is some general spillover into the general public. Uh, nobody's dying. Nobody's going to the hospital yet. Um, it seems to be just a relative nuisance. Uh, when somebody does get monkeypox, um, they may be, they may certainly be out of work or out of close contact to others for up to one to two weeks. So that's going to be pretty inconvenient. And it, it's definitely here. It's, it's definitely here, although it's not dangerous. And we're all going to be watching uh, once again, you know, there's, there's the monkeypox. There's the, the new COVID variant is coming out. Um, there's going to be flu season. RSV with kids made a, a big comeback this summer, totally out of character. So like you said, you, I, I like what you said at the beginning. We're all kind of little mini virologists for ourselves. We're going to have to be weighing um, the risk and exposure for all of these. We're going to have to understand better infection control and, and how to mitigate it for ourselves and our loved ones. The new school year is uh, right around the corner. All the kids are going to go back uh, to school and leave the house and let their parents relax for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. I know the parents are praying for school to start. Uh, but as they go mm-hmm. back, what what should they be aware of? What what kind of threat assessment, uh, as far as a public health concern, should parents have in sending their children uh, back to school this fall, which is now the summer? Oh, my goodness. Well, really, God bless you teachers, you principals, you janitors, anybody who does anything in schools or daycare, it's, it's such a special calling. Um, I'm on my second year now supporting a couple of high-profile schools, um, K, K through 8 schools in the D.C., Washington, D.C. area. We've, we've worked very, very closely with them in the Department of Health to try to keep them safe. Um, it's, i got to be honest, most, most school leaders, teachers, it's a white-knuckle experience. You know, because you're in such a closed area for six to seven hours uh, with kids of all ages, um, you can't prop a door open, right? You can't get good ventilation. Um, so what to expect? Well, once again, overall, the general severity of COVID is very low now. It's just more of a pesky nuance, uh, a nuisance. It's not really sending people to hospital. So that's good news. Unfortunately, it's still out there. It's still crossing all lines. Um, so I think the best thing you could do for sure is, is have your kids go to their pediatrician for a checkup before school starts, number one. Number two, um, have the app. Have your pediatrician's app on your phone, the ability to do a virtual visit if you need it. Um, still have a testing plan. That, you know what? Um, having home rapid kits are still very, very valuable. So I know they're being offered free through different insurance companies and different plans. You know, I would have a good little box of uh, home rapid kits because those are just as good now as the PCR expensive tests that take three days and all that hoorah to go through. The next one, please go to your school's um, meetings. Your schools are going to have little town hall meetings, probably virtually, to give you an update as to what their policy is, what they're trying to do, um, what one thing that's been very frustrating for us as healthcare workers working in public schools is that a lot of parents uh, don't take the time to go to our briefing. You know, we'll have a very concise uh, uh, briefing for all the students 
uh, teachers and parents about our COVID policy and our process. And we'll literally get a handful of parents there. And it's not until it's, you know, Friday night at 10 o'clock and Johnny or Susie have COVID that they're trying to figure out, oh my gosh, what does this mean? What are we going to do? So really, really take those preventative steps. You have to, because it's not going away. We don't have a new bivariate vaccine out there yet. We're still likely to have that crossover. Uh, I'll tell you, I worked my nurse line today for about two hours. I took three COVID calls in a row. Uh, people with active COVID, sore throat, body aches, headaches. Nobody was terribly sick, but it's just still there. So, um, you know, also be be pondering wearing a mask or at least making sure they have a good mask in case they're in a high-risk situation and have a plan B. Um, I, I think you're very, very naive to think that uh, your kid is not going to miss any school. You know, I think you're, you're really going to need to be prepared for them to frequently come home, do some remote learning because they're close contact or they're sick or you're sick. Um, one, one other good news about this variant is uh, the CDC has loosened up whether you're sick or close contact. Your main days to monitor yourself is just five days. So just five days, um, if you can test negative on day six, uh, whether you're close contact or actually were positive, you're, you're out of the woods, you don't have to do the full 10 days. So just, just scrub in, you know, really do, do good 30 minutes of homework about what your school is going to be going through or your daycare and, and how you can be, how you can play with, by the rules. You know, we, we just had experience with a little one who had a uh, head cold. And we're wondering, mm-hmm. oh, my, could that be COVID? You know, the big boogeyman out mm-hmm. there, COVID. <laughs> so uh, what we did, we went to the local CVS and found out that there there were just stocks and stocks of COVID tests that were under, under $10. Yep. And uh, ran the test, and 15 minutes later came back negative. But it sort of let everyone calm down, you know, not knowing better to check out whether or not it was COVID or not early on and start thinking. And but that's... That- that's great news. Yeah, because the rapid test has really become the norm, even in the public health sector. And it was such a pain, you know, eight months ago, a year ago, when we were trying to send everyone for that big PCR test at CVS or Walmart, you know, the one you have to wait two days for. So, yeah, right, the, the, right. take advantage of the rapid test. Well, it works out, works out very well. But the question is, what if you... Uh, have some kind of uh, upper respiratory infection, you do a COVID test and it comes back positive. Uh, are there reporting requirements? Should you let the public health people know or who, who else should you let or you just keep that information to yourself? What's what's preferred? Well, formally, yes. <laughs> so I'll say formally, yes, you should go to your county um, Department of Health website and report it formally. But life is life, you know, and um, we all, I mean, I just got to be honest, we all just know that, um, you know, somebody with a couple of little kids who's extremely busy, double income, you know, trying to stay above water, their kid gets COVID, that's often not the first thing they're going to do. However, however, it would be good, once again, to report to your pediatrician if your kid has it, Um, you know, just send them an app, you know, if you have the patient app note. Um, whatever way you communicate to your uh, PCP or pediatrician is very helpful. It, yes, it is best, but of course, we all understand that that's not always happening. Very voluntary on your part. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. you used the uh, phrase a few minutes ago called "life is life," and it, life is life. 
uh, and uh, we're not going to hibernate underground for the next 20 years. We're out and about and doing things. And uh, summertime, early autumn, people are out doing adventurous things. And um, you ran into a situation where uh, your son was out doing an adventurous thing and got into trouble physically. Just so happened he had an expert father who happened to be within a few miles of where he was to help out. If you don't mind sharing, let us know what, what happened and, and how did the situation develop? How, how did someone walk mm-hmm. into this? And then what, what happened? What were the difficulties you had being out in the middle of nowhere? Right, right, right. Okay, so let me tell you the story. Part of it is going to be for adventurous <laughs> entertainment purposes, although it's a true story. It has a good ending. And um, then I do have some practical steps that you all can take whenever you're with loved ones, whether it's kids, grandkids, uh, whoever, who are doing this type of thing. Um, but yeah. Um, well, don't start the story uh, yet. Don't start the story yet because we're going to have to take a break. We're going to take a short break. All right, you'll want to, you'll want to hear it. Yeah, hear don't, it. don't go away. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be back after these words. So don't go away. Come on back. And now, back to The Advocate with your host, Nick Phillips. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with our final segment of The Advocate for tonight. We're talking to Chris Phillips, and we're talking about... Uh, a, basically medicine and staying alive and staying well. And uh, we're, we're talking about an incident that occurred with his son. Picture of health, young man. Tell us, uh, in, as a setup, what, what was your son doing and what happened? Because I have some good, got some good advice for you. Couldn't, I didn't think it could happen to me. So my son's uh, 25 years old, very healthy. He's been training for a 100-mile race for some time. Uh, the last time he did this was in, um, Mohican. He got up to 77 miles before he dropped out. All was well. Uh, so I was on support for him, his support team up in the Badlands of North Dakota, which was beautiful. It was the end of July and he was attempting a hundred mile race, um, a, a formal hundred mile race. And, um, so he was so well in great shape and, um, he asked me to be his SAG, support and gear person. Um, and he told me, Dad, take this seriously. You know, don't be working on the side, getting distracted. And he's like, I got it. I got it. I'm here for you. So um, about every 10 miles, there was a brake station. And, and this trail was very remote through the Badlands, uh, on and off, uh, cell phone coverage. I had to drive, you know, probably about 10, 12 this in the miles. Ba- this is in, in the Badlands of North Dakota, right? Yeah, yeah, and it was the end of July, very hot. So, um, you know, most of the trail, I didn't see him, did not have cell phone coverage. Um, so I was 10 miles up at the next at break number three, waiting for him and waiting. There was only 12 people running the race. It was kind of a mom-pop run thing. I, we didn't realize this, that it's a really big website, but really it's just a young couple who do this and a couple of volunteers. And, uh, yeah, he never came to that third station and um, I was starting to get reports from the last runners saying, yeah, your son's in trouble. He's somewhere, you know, back there between mile 8 and 14. And, you know, I'm, I'm almost 58 years old. I'm in okay condition, but I'm certainly not ready to run <laughs> 10 miles through the Badlands looking for him. And if I did, um, Pure so luck. It, it was, it was, yeah, it was a real, it was a tough two hours um, trying to talk to people 
really staying focused. Um, I got one cell phone call from somebody from his phone who climbed to a hill. Thank goodness got through to me. It was an older gentleman with poor hearing, and he just gave me a general area, this like campground area, your son's campground area. I, I tried to get more information from the caller who's calling on my son's phone. He says, I can't hear you, and he hung up. So I'm really on my own. I'm really panicking. Um, so I, I take about 30 minutes backtracking on the roads as best as I can. That, that campsite was abandoned. I drove to a brake station that was abandoned. The, I, I texted the race organizers. They were at the they were at the start. Said nobody's here at the start. We can't help you. Um, so really, by just prayer and intuition, I went back to the campsite. Um, I found that older gentleman who used the phone. He says, "Yeah, he's up that path a mile and a half. Take water." So I mix water up in a jug with some electrolytes, and I go. I jog a mile and a half, calling his name, and he's nowhere in sight. So I think maybe I'm on the wrong path and I'm running. I know I'm running out of time. You know, he's, he's a big guy. It's uh, close to a hundred degrees. It's, we're going on two hours. I don't know what's going on. So something just told me, keep running, keep going. You know, maybe the man was mistaken. Maybe it's not a mile and a half. So around every corner, I kept telling myself, I'm going to go one more corner and keep calling his name. One more corner, keep calling his name. And then at the 2.1 mile mark, um, I heard him faintly reply back. And somebody asked me, what was that feeling like? And I said, it, you parents and grandparents will know what this is like. It still had that feel like you lost your toddler in the mall. You know, that those, those minutes when you lose your child and you're frantically looking for them and you're not at all convinced you're going to find them. So thank goodness I found them, uh, started giving him water, and immediately I knew to work on a rescue plan. And, of course, you know, he weighs about 250 pounds. He's 6'6". He's, he's totally paralyzed by a condition called rhabdomyolysis where um, all of his muscles completely froze. He was all dirty because he was trying to roll down this path into the shade. He couldn't make it. So he was there about an hour and a half, um, totally paralyzed in the sun. And I just thank God I found him. So I ran up the hill. I called in a 911 rescue. And um, I'll try to go quick, but there's some really, I'm so blessed there's a good ending to this. So I'm trying to shield him, give him water. Um, medics who come about 90 minutes later are on foot. They're volunteers. Thank, thank goodness. They're, they're just, boy, when you think about in these rural areas, how much you depend on just good citizens. You know, one's a farmer, one's an ho- older housewife who's retired, and she was able to jog two miles with a backpack. Um, so when they got there as a critical care nurse and catastrophic case manager, I'm like, you guys have an IV. We need to take our time and stabilize him. So I knew that his kidneys and his heart were in tremendous threat of shutting down and being damaged for good if we didn't get hydration in him. So uh, I was very you know, helpful and patient as a bystander. I also helped actually start the IV. But it took us two times, about 30 minutes to get an IV going. But I knew that this was most important to, to starting the recovery process. Um, and then it was just a whole fiasco, unfortunately, with the volunteer fire uh, people trying to get a hold of the U.S. Forest Department or the National Guard. Um, so it really turned into about a two-and-a-half-hour ordeal. Why, why, couldn't they just fly a heli- why couldn't they just fly a helicopter and, and rescue him, like, like well, we see on TV? 
Yeah, that's one of my points to your listeners. So kind of here's some points for your listeners. If you're going to be doing any of this, this will help you, okay? Uh, take it really serious. If you're supporting somebody doing an outdoor adventure, take, take it very serious. Don't think you're going to be getting a lot of, you know, work done on the side, being distracted. Uh, really understand their medical condition and allergies, okay? Because that's really going to play a role. Are they diabetic? Are they heart failure? What other conditions do they have? Don't overestimate the people running these events. And, and it's not a put down. Uh, it's just realistic. You know, um, there's a lot of great websites and events out there, but they're just really run by, you know, volunteers and mom and pops and, and people who really don't have the, the resources to take care of emergencies, catastrophic emergencies like this when they happen. Um, so there's different reasons. You know, I was, we, we worked on getting him off the mountain. We practically dragged him off the mountain. And then finally the Forest Service came about two hours later and helped us. Um, in, in the last couple of minutes uh, we have, is there any lesson learned, things that should have been done differently, could have been done differently? Well, like I said, don't don't underestimate these outdoor activities. You know, it can go south really quick. Heat and uh, stress can, can go south really quick on even very healthy people. If you're going to be supporting or watching somebody, know their medical conditions because that's the first thing that responders are going to ask you if there's an emergency. Um, when responders do come, uh, it is worth it to take the time to stabilize the patient there. Properly get them on a backboard, start IVs, um, be very patient with first responders because most of what happens in an emergency room or ICU is the very thing they can do right then and there. So, you know, be in a hurry to get them out of the situation as well as they're stabilized. Um, and then just ask some common sense questions, like they wanted me to authorize a rescue helicopter, i.e. pay $30,000 out of pocket. They didn't say that, but I knew that's what was going on. So I said, okay, I'm willing to do that, but can this helicopter get us off this mountain? And they go, no, it's going to land by the ambulance. Well, in <laughs> short, said, well, in short, your son made it. We're out of time. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. So, yeah, so just think that through. Well, bad things happen, so be prepared for that. That's important. But uh, anyway, well, thank you for sharing tonight, Chris, as always. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. Same time, same size, same time, same station. So between now and then, have a safe, healthy, and, uh, and a fun week coming up. We'll be back next week. Good night. Road-pointed slippers by the bamboo door On the wall, a faded picture of a movie queen Torn from the pages of some ancient magazine Sleeping parrot, dreaming parrot dreams And I sat and watched the Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With nothing to do until morning And only my mind The Advocate is sponsored by Nick Phillips and is responsible for its content. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.